Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Dear listeners, it doesn't take very long to get from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3. You just have to turn the page. And you go from Adam rejoicing, when God presented him with his wife, with Eve, from Adam celebrating their unity as husband and wife, saying, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, to Adam calling Eve the woman and blaming her and God for his sin. That actually gives us a very clear picture of what sin has done to us how it completely changed our focus from a focus on each other to a focus on ourselves. How sin twisted our way of thinking about ourselves and about our place in the world. Sin shattered the unity that Adam and Eve had enjoyed as husband and wife. God had made them one in marriage, but sin made them two again, and not simply two separate people, but two selfish people, two people who instinctively, who automatically, who constantly thought about themselves and looked out for themselves. And in Adam's mind, in the instant that he sinned, Eve became the woman, the woman whom you gave me, God. You might say he opened his mouth, and that's what came out. He didn't have to think about it, came straight from his heart, That was just how he felt and how he thought about Eve. That's what sin does to us. Our sin is always working to separate us from one another. Now, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, which we're looking at this time, he was writing to the congregation in Corinth, and he was addressing exactly the same problem that Adam and Eve had when they fell into sin. The problem of what sin does to our unity. God creates unity. In the church, sin creates division. Paul had to admonish the Corinthians about it again and again in this letter. In chapter 3, he criticizes their disunity in the most devastating way he possibly could. He says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, and behaving only in a human way? You couldn't criticize Christians more harshly than to say that they are of the flesh, because that says that we are denying our very identity, because it means that we're giving our sin room to work in the church. It means that our life as believers shows that the power of sin is at work in our hearts and in our lives. Paul talks about some ugly things in this first letter to the Corinthians. He had to talk to them about sexual immorality and people who ate food sacrificed to idols. But this is when he says, you are of the flesh, when he's talking about the divisions, the strife, the conflict in the congregation. Throughout this letter, Paul uses several different images to help the Corinthians recognize the real identity and character of the church. He says, you are God's field, 
You are God's building. You are God's temple. But one of the most wonderful images that he uses for the church is in chapter 12. He says, You are the body of Christ. This is the glory of what Christ does in the lives of believers. He makes us live together as members of one body. He makes us care for each other and live for each other and serve each other. This is, we can say, the trademark of Christ's work. This is what his redeeming work looks like. Where you see unity, self-denial, people serving each other, you're seeing Christ at work. You're seeing the power of the Holy Spirit in human lives. Paul lists all the gifts that the people of Corinth had received from the Holy Spirit. They'd received wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. But what stood out in the life of the church was disunity and division because they were competing with each other and quarreling with each other and trying to get the most important place in the worship service to display the gifts they had been given by the Spirit. And Paul says to them, that shows that you don't understand who you are. You don't understand what the church is. You don't understand what Christ is working for among you. When the Lord Jesus was with his disciples in the last hours before he was arrested, he said to them, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's how the world will know that you are not of the flesh. That's how people will be able to identify you as followers of Christ. John says in 1 John 3, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. He says in 1 John 4, No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. In other words, if we love each other, people will be able to see what God is like by looking at us. And this is why 1 Corinthians 13 is so important for the church and for you. Because it teaches us what we so often forget about our identity as believers. The church isn't a trainload of lucky people who all get to go to heaven instead of hell. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the people among whom Christ lives by His Holy Spirit. And so the thing that identifies us in comparison with the world is that we love each other. This is the most excellent way that Paul speaks about. Paul describes Christian love in this chapter. Not the movie kind of love. Not the sentimental kind of love that's all about how you feel, the, the kind of love that comes and goes. He describes real love that imitates, that mirrors God's love. It's your commitment to each other, and you show it in self-denial. Paul says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things. That's the character of Christian love. Maybe I shouldn't say it that way, because the truth is that that's the character of love, period. That's a character of real love. Love makes you set yourself aside and reach out for the other. It makes you seek the other's joy and happiness and well-being. It makes you serve. And in your love, you defend each other. You defend your relationship against everything that your sin can throw at it. Sin is like a predator. Sin is always looking for an opening, for an opportunity to make a kill, to destroy our lives. When Cain got angry, because God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's, God warned him. He said, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you. Our sin shows itself in our impulse to serve ourselves and defend ourselves and look out for ourselves. It shows itself in our expectation that the people around us, like our wives and our husbands and our friends and our children, should be doing whatever they can to make us happy. And so our sin is like a crowbar, like a wedge that Satan wants to drive between us and pry us apart from each other. And love goes up against our sin to rescue us from ourselves. Love is patient and kind. So when someone makes a mistake, when someone sins against you, you can do what comes naturally. You can act like people of the flesh in a human way. Get all offended and angry. Criticize. Or you can love each other. You can be patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Envy and boasting are marks of people who put themselves and what they want at the center of all their concerns. That's why they can't be happy when the Lord gives good things to other people. They're too busy thinking about what they want to have. What they want is just too important to be happy for someone else. People who are arrogant have an awful hard time with sin, whether it's their own sin or the sin that someone else commits against them. They're too proud to repent, so they make excuses for their sin. They can't admit that they did anything wrong. And when someone sins against them, they can't forgive. They're too important to let someone else get away with offending them. All of these things say, I'm more important than us. What I feel, what I want, what I need is all more important than our relationship. And you can choose to act that way, but that's not love. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It's so easy to be rude when things don't go my way, when people don't take me and what I want into account, that I can nag and I can sulk and I can give other people the silent treatment till I get my way. I can fly off the handle and start slamming doors and I can file away in my memory all the ways other people have ever disappointed me, all the ways they've just plain sinned against me. Then sin is crouching at my door and his desire is for me. It's looking for an opportunity to destroy me. But I can master my sin. 
and love my neighbor the way God loves me. Love doesn't tell everyone else all the wrong and foolish things that someone else did. Love wants to see the power and the influence of the gospel at work in your neighbor's life. Love wants to see grace abounding more and more in you. Love wants to see the Lord Jesus winning the victory over sin in your life. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love is never exhausted. Love is never worn out, no matter what happens. That couldn't be true if love is nothing more than an emotion. But love is a commitment. And love is a desire to see the other person blessed and happy. And it's never concerned about itself. So you don't keep a record of everything that you've ever done for someone else. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Literally, Paul says something like this, love protects in all things, it trusts in all things, it hopes in all things, it perseveres in all things. In all things means in all situations, under all conditions. No matter what may happen, no matter what you may do, love bears it. Love trusts, love hopes, love endures. It keeps on wanting what is best for you. Our love is God's love being reflected and worked out among us. So nothing can make Christian love give up. That's more than we can give each other. We shouldn't imagine that we can do this, love each other all by ourselves. What comes naturally to us is the opposite of love. We can only love each other by grace through faith. Love is a gift that only God can give us. So we have to pray for it. Once when Jesus' disciples couldn't cast a demon out of a little boy, Jesus said, this kind only comes out with prayer. It's the same with real love. The only way we can ever begin to really love other people is through prayer. This is the most important love advice that anyone can give you. Starting today, ask the Lord Jesus every day to show that He lives and works in you by making this love live in you so that you can love the people around you, in your home and family, in your church and your workplace, and in your community. Thank you for listening.